This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Mike Wyatt's creator, Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King. From the Walker Report, Bradley Walker. From Steelers Nation South, Rollo Cawthon. We are joined tonight by a special guest. She has many hats that she can wear. She's an actor, a model, an acting coach. Uh, I saw that she's done stunt work, so she's got a, she's got a little bit of everything here in her forte. Um, she's appeared in TV and films that include The Cutting Edge, which we're going to be discussing later on uh, tonight in our debate. Uh, For Love of the Game, one of my favorite movies of all time. Dad, if you're watching, she was on Blue Bloods, so I know that's your favorite show. <laughs> SVU, Orange is the New Black, Spin City, Third Watch, just a, a plethora of, of, of things that she's guest starred on. She's won awards. She has her own acting studio and has created online courses. You can check all that out on her website. And and I'm hoping I'm saying your name right because I've heard it 10 different ways on YouTube. <laughs> Nahani Johnstone. There you go. Yes. All right. Dot com. So check that out. So let's welcome to the podcast, Nahani Johnstone. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me on, and thanks for suggesting those movies. I really, really loved those movies. Excellent, excellent. And and as you, if you can't tell, tonight's debate is going to be a film debate. It is the greatest Olympic film in the comedy genre. Uh, and then, as always, we'll have our Q&A afterwards uh, for her about her career. Uh, just a word to the wise, spoilers ahead. So <laughs> let's, let's jump into our first film, and uh, let's see... Rollo, why don't you start us out tonight? So the film that I got was Blades of Glory, which uh, stars one of the funniest humans that I I could think of in Hollywood, Will Ferrell. Uh, he had a cast of a lot of Saturday Night Live members uh, that were on this movie as well. Uh, John Hader, Amy Poehler, Will Arnett, Jenna Fisher, Craig T. Nelson, Romani Malco, and Andy Richter were part of this hilarious cast. Um, Heather and Will Ferrell actually learned to skate for this movie from Michelle Kwan's uh, coach, uh, Sarah Kawahara. So it was a nice little nugget that I learned. Um, <clears throat> this movie was made on a budget of $61 million and grossed $145.7 million. It debuted at one on its opening weekend. This is a movie that satirizes the best and worst part of the figure skating world. Uh, it centers on two male figure skaters with completely different styles. And they had a heated rivalry. Uh, they shared gold at the Olympics. And that rival comes to a head when they get into a fight and set uh, the, the uh, world mascot on fire. They are eventually stripped of their gold medals and um, banned from skating for life. They wind up finding a loophole in the uh, Olympics. Um, if they become a pair, they can be a, uh, uh, get back in the Olympics as a same-sex couple. They want to <clears throat> setting their differences aside so they can get the gold and just the the moments that ensue to get to that point to get to the Olympics is hilarious. You got to check it out if you haven't seen it. It's one of the funniest uh, sports movies that I've seen, um, starring one of my favorite favorite uh, male actors, and Will Ferrell. <laughs> so, Nehani, we come to you. Out of the four films tonight, this is probably the most let's say slapstick comedy one. Um, you know. A lot of people, uh, Will Ferrell can be an acquired case for, but, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on on him as just a comedic actor, but the movie in general? Well, I love Will Ferrell. And now as I've gotten older, my tastes have changed. 
and I'm less into the kind of vulgar stuff that I, I used to. I used to love all that stuff. And Will Ferrell has one of been always one of my favorites. And that the supporting cast, Will Arnett and Amy Poehler. I mean, you can't get better than that. It's it's the comedy elite. And I don't know if you know Will Arnett's Canadian. I oh. knew him before he was famous. And he is was always hilarious. He's just hilarious. He's playing himself because he's just a hilarious guy. So those those actors, I mean, you can't, I don't think you could make a bad movie with those actors. And the thing that takes it to the next level is the stunt work. Because to have the juxtaposition of incredible skating with that kind of comedy, you're getting the best of the best. I mean, you've got the best skaters mixed with the best comic actors. So it's it's just it's a it's a recipe for success. You just you can't screw that up. So uh, that's I loved that. I loved I love the combination. We watch a lot of action films in my house because my husband is a stunt coordinator, and so he's always watching the action. So I've really developed a taste for big action movies and an appreciation for the work of the stunt the stunt performers. Actors have it so easy. We have it so we're so we're so coddled. We're like the babies on the set that need to have their diaper changed. And the stunt people are like out there, you know, risking their lives, doing the really hard work. Actors aren't going to like me for saying that. But, you know, there's some actors that do their own stunts. But the stunt performers will just blow your mind every time from what they do and the, the things they can pull off. So I liked, I liked the movie for that reason. It wasn't my favorite of the group. But um, but it probably would have been before I saw the other ones. <laughs> hey, Rollo, let me ask you real quick. What what was the name of that that skate skate move they did? Like the Flying Lotus or something? What, what was the uh, name? I can't, can't remember. Uh, he had cut the uh, Flying the, Lotus. The Flying, flying Lotus. Lotus. Cut, his, cut his previous partner's head off with yeah. the move. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was hilarious. Oh, they showed yeah. that. Yeah, I, I bought that. that <laughs> All right, let, let's move into our, our second film here. Um, you know what? Let's go. Uh, let's go to Brad. Cool, uh, cool runnings. Cool runnings. All right. So directed by John Turtletop, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. The budget was 17 million. It made 154.9 million. Um, basically, John Candy. I mean, again, one of the greatest comedy actors of all time. Uh, you know, playing strange automobiles with Steve Martin was a great film. Um, but again, this movie was based on him being a former bobsled, bobsled uh, for the United States. He moves to Jamaica, furthest away from any snow or ice that you possibly can go, and ends up having to train three uh, Jamaican sprinters and one bobsled driver to the bobsled to compete in the Olympics in Calgary, Alberta, where. In one of the scenes when they first get to Calgary, you see them all go from warm weather to cold weather. They run and try to get all these warm clothes. Um, and it's, you know, a great movie. I think basically the movie comes down to them trying to gain the respect of the other bobsled teams that are more experienced than them. And at the end of the movie, they have a disaster, but they carry the bobsled across the finish line and finish instead of just giving up. They earn the respect of the rest of the bobsled teams uh, that, that are there. But, but, again, it was one of those movies kind of like kind of maybe make you cry at the end as you see them carrying that bobsled across the finish line and gaining the respect of all the other bobsled teams that were in Calgary competing for a gold medal. 
Nay, honey, uh, do you do you remember this happening? Like, I mean, I don't I remember. remember. I had to look it up and see: is this a true story? Is this? Yeah. And and it seems there is some um, some contention about whether how much was true and how much wasn't. That they were like, yeah, one percent was true, <laughs> but <laughs> it was based on a true story, right? Right. Well, correct. Absolutely. Correct. And and if anybody wants to learn more about. The, the, the Jamaican bobsled team go into our archives, check out the Olympic episode with John Neighbor. Brian represented the Jamaican bobsled team for, uh, what was it, Greatest Upset uh, in Olympics, I believe? Correct, yes. yeah. Right. So, so check that out in the archives. But uh, So what were your thoughts on the movie? John Candy, you, you can't go wrong with a John Candy comedy. I, I mean, he turned some John Hughes films just into huge hits. Uh, not that John Hughes wasn't great himself, but, uh, you know, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I am from Canada. Originally, I'm born in Canada. So, of course, I'm going to be like, yay, John Candy. He was a beautiful guy and such a great talent. And he, uh, I just love that he brought, it wasn't just comedy. There was some, you know, there's some real vulnerability in him in this movie. And just, you know, how he was trying so hard. And, and you know, the, I think it's, it's very similar to Ed of the Eagle, which I absolutely loved. And they, they actually... Um, talked about the Jamaican bobsled team in Eddie the Eagle. Right, that's right. I thought that was really, it's a very similar, I guess that's why you put them together, because they're very similar. It they, happened in the same Olympics. There was the same Olympic. okay. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. So, yeah. You know what you're doing. So I, I loved both stories. I loved the underdog story and just the the idea that the, it's perseverance that that makes it. It's, it's you just need perseverance in a dream. It's not always the most talented person that wins. It's not always the obvious. It's the the people that come from nowhere who just really really want it, who just have a really strong why that they want it. But I and I gotta say I loved all of the cold Canadian jokes <laughs> because um, I'm in the south right now and I forgot what it's like to be that cold. But when I go back there, it's like, I remember it's, it is, yeah. Anyone from coming from Jamaica to Canada is going to be in for a shock. <laughs> you just can't be ready for that. It's so cold. And especially in the winter in Calgary. Ouch. But yeah, I loved, that's another uh, real feel good uh, movie for the whole family. And I love movies that you can watch with your family. Cause these days you just never know what you're going to get. So right. it's great to watch a movie like that. That's funny. That's beautiful. That has, you know, scenery, but it's comedy. It's just something for everyone. And it's, it's, I think it's good to, to have movies like that, that to promote movies like that, that you can sit down with everybody to watch. I feel like those days have changed. Those are so much violence in movies. <laughs> Maybe we have to yeah. dig into the archives to find the movies that have um, so many, wonderful human aspects and that leave you feeling uplifted at the end absolutely that's why i like this one and one of two of our movies tonight based off a true story does does that change your opinion on a film when you watch it like when you're going into it knowing that it's based off a true story at all i don't know if it changes my opinion um as i think everything comes from some truth whoever wrote a movie is pulling from some truth but I think there's a different uh, way that people treat it when it's a true story. There's a kind of a respect that most filmmakers would have, you know, feeling like they really want to do this person, this story justice because there are real people that are probably still alive, you know, that were behind it. And, and this, you know, they really want to sort of rise to the occasion rather than just kind of making something that no one's going to, you know, be able to disagree with. <laughs> right. They just made it up. I think well, truth is stranger than fiction because sometimes it's, you didn't know that was a true story. You'd be like, this is ridiculous. 
<laughs> but it's a true story. So, well, like you said, one percent of it is. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they. You can't always do it exactly because um, because it just doesn't work for the film. You know, you have to make a film. You have to make it has to be coherent and it has to be a story that you can tell in a short amount of time. So you, a lot of times the details are left out and moved over. But but based on a true story is good enough. <laughs> right. Well, let's move on to our next film, and and that's that's one our guest has been in, uh, The Cutting Edge. All right, so The Cutting Edge came out in 1992, uh, just under a $3 million budget, but it grossed over $25 million. Uh, this one was a fun romantic comedy featuring D.B. Sweeney and Maura Kelly. Kelly plays a figure skater who is described by her, her coach as the Big B. She's snobby, constantly belittles her skating partners, and is just a nightmare to work with. Uh, Sweeney plays a hockey player who endures a head injury, which causes him to be partially blind in one eye. The figure skating coach, a Russian fellow played by Roy Detrice, uh, decides that after Kelly has ultimately rejected every possible figure skater partner in the business, that he would bring D.B. Sweeney, who also has no other options um, and has been rejected by every other NHL team. Uh, at first, it's hilariously a match made in hell. Kelly does everything in her power to make Sweeney look bad and give up. There's a funny scene where he repeatedly falls and, you know, which uh, each one, you know, with each wipeout, she needles him simply by saying Topic. Uh, there are other many, you know, further, funny moments in this, um, you know, as the two try to like outcompete each other, uh, each during the, you know, during their training. And there's a growing romantic essence as each one lowers their guard temporarily in order to kind of see how the other responds. Uh, these two really battle it out until the end, disagreeing from everything, from, from outfits to, to music to the format of the Olympic program itself. Ultimately, they come together uh, before their most important skate, drop their guards, share their true feelings, and do something truly spectacular on the ice. I like this one because of the culture clash. Uh, Sweeney was just a working-class guy from Minnesota, while Kelly was a high-class girl who had been sheltered uh, all her life from the real world. Uh, Dutrice, our coach, the Russian guy, I, I thought he was an underrated character. Uh, his simple phrasing was actually profound, and it came off as worldwise, and his crazy experiment really worked. Uh, the film got mixed reviews. Some loved it. Some hated it. One critic called it the taming of the shrew on ice, which is not totally inaccurate, but kind of oversimplifies what I believe was a very enjoyable So I, I, I come to you, Nehani, on this one. You were part of this film. D.B. Sweeney, I, I love him. He's, he's been on this show before. Um, so if you want to learn more about that movie, we do ask him in the Q&A section. Check it out in the archives, everybody. Something about this film we see a lot is like it's the two opposite world characters. And I really, I, I like how Brian was mentioning that. But just the play, if you have this girl who doesn't really want to be there and you have this guy who's just like going all out to do anything possible to, to be there and get to the Olympics. So... You know, tell, tell us about this film. I remember you saying you had a story about it as well. Well, I was not on the film for very long. I think that was one of the first films I did, too. It was very early in my career, and uh, it was great. I had to be a German something. I can't even remember what I was now, like a German. <laughs> that terrible that I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But I just remember I had this big German and kick DB or DB Sweeney Sweeney jumps out of the bed in the morning, rushing to the late to the Olympics. He's overslept because we had a 
a night together. But so it was a very short part for me. But what I loved about being on this film was that the the director, Paul Michael Glaser, who was half of Starsky and Hutch. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember that show, but he was a lovely man. And he included me on the the table reads, which doesn't always happen. And very less and less people don't really have time to rehearse and table reads almost seem to be a luxury these days, but he included me, even though I only had a small, small part in the, in the whole, you know, the cast get together for the table read. And so I had, I wasn't working with Moira, but I met her and I have to say she is not only is she a brilliant actress and I watched what she was doing at the table read and she is a lovely girl, just the sweetest, kindest, gentlest person, nothing like her character. And, and I watched her work uh, a couple of uh, one scene, a couple of different times. And just to watch her, her access to herself and her emotion was it was uh, it was quite beautiful for me as a new actor to to see that to see her work in person. She's incredibly incredibly talented, and Moira actually had just booked um, a league of their own, the baseball movie with Madonna and Laura, and she was supposed to be the pitcher. So you know, oh, every wow. chance she got, she was out there. I rem- I was only around her for a day, and I remember that she was out there pitching just practicing because she was going to start shooting that right after, um, right after the, uh, the cutting edge. And, you know, she was fairly early in her career and it would have really made a huge, you know, difference for her. But then a week into filming cutting edge, she broke her ankle. And she, oh, had wow. training, yeah, she had been training as a skater and training and training. I mean, this girl was working hard. She had trained, uh, you know, to be, to do a lot of her own skating in the movie. And then she was also training to be a pitcher. So she was really working hard. And I have a lot of respect for that because, you know, it's a lot to take on two things at once like that. And so I think it broke her heart a little bit when she, um, she got hurt and she couldn't, um, she couldn't do her own skating. They had to sort of pull her around on a, a little, I don't know. There's some kind of contraption where they they had to sit on it and they pulled her. And I'm sure that made her crazy because I could tell she, you know, she was really wanting to to do her own stuff. So I love the film. I think it's a beautiful film. Again, it's another film you can see with the whole family. And it's, I mean, you know, at the beginning, you're like, okay, I get it. They're setting up like these guys hate each other. We know where it's going, right? But right. even know where it's going, it's like it's so obvious. But it's still such a fun journey to watch it happen you know you're just rooting for them all the way and and db sweeney also great actor both of them they're the kind of actors that they never maybe got to that a-list level but they're definitely capable you know their work is up there their work is up there with any a-list actor so um yeah i highly recommend this film also there's a great actress in the first scene that you're just gonna want to remember (laughs) that's right german accent (laughs) Uh, it it kind of makes sense that you said she was going to be the pitcher um, in a league of their own. There, got that job. Who's right. also is a lovely person as well. I'm glad she got the job, but it was, yeah. Well, and and it, it makes even more sense because we had Megan Cavanaugh and she played Marla Hoosh. She said that uh, it wasn't Gina Davis to begin with; it was Deborah Winger. So I could see Moira Kelly being Deborah Winger's sister. That makes that's that makes a lot of sense, actually. Wow! There you so, go. Yeah, interesting. Well, uh, it's a good film. Uh, check it out, everybody. The Cutting Edge. Um, it, 
I I enjoy it. I, I own it on on DVD. Um, yes, there are still DVDs out there, people. But mm-hmm. let, let, let's move on to our final film. And, and and just a quick note on all four films tonight, all of them ended up being Winter Olympics. So, uh, hey, Summer Olympics, get your act together and make some comedy films, okay? Let's, let's yeah, get right. a ball here. All right, so I got 2016's Eddie the Eagle, and I had not seen this movie before I started doing my research, and what a treat this film is. Budget of $23 million, brought in $46.2 million, so not like a huge hit, but um, starring Taron Egerton. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, he played Elton John in the, in the, the biography movie. Hugh Jackman and, and Christopher Walken has a, a, a small part in it. Nominated for four awards, including uh, Choice Movie Actor for Taron Egerton at the Teen Choice Awards. It's got 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a really good score for Rotten Tomatoes, um, and that's the highest tonight by a lot. So let me throw that argument out there. Cinema score audience gave it an A. Um, you know, the audiences are always a little easier on their grades than the critics, it seems like. But uh, Taron Egerton, he plays uh, Michael Edwards. Uh, it's a true story of a British skier. He ended up getting nicknamed Eddie the Eagle, um, who in 1988, he became Britain's first uh, ski jumper since 1928. Uh, Hugh Jackman plays his drunk mentor, uh, so we got another drunk coach, just like uh, Cole Runnings there. Uh, Bronson Perry, and then Christopher Walken, his legendary U.S. coach, Warren Sharp. So Eddie is portrayed as, uh, I guess we could say a geek. I mean, that seems kind of right. Um, but his dream is to be an Olympian, and, and just everybody's against him. His dad, like, you really hate his dad <laughs> at the beginning of this film because he, he comes, to, comes to the point where he, he says to his dad well what was your dream dad and he's like to be a plasterer so and that's what he let me manage that's just really bummed it down but uh the british olympic committee was against him um because of his appearance and his awkwardness um uh, so he doesn't make the olympics as a skier uh so he 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 finds this loophole and becomes a ski jumper learns to ski jump um and since they have no jumpers for britain He's obviously going to make the team. This leads him to the Olympics, where even though he is the worst, he wins the world's hearts over. And, and there's a lot more to the story than that. I don't want to give it away. Check check it out in our archives. But just some funny parts. Uh, Bronson Perry, who played Hugh Jackman, uh, doing his jump drunk. I thought that was pretty funny. Um, all this training scenes of Eddie the Eagle uh, are pretty funny, especially the beginning one where he's a kid and he's just falling in all kind of crazy ways. And then there's a good scene where Bronson's uh, teaching Eddie how to pretend to have an orgasm when he's doing a ski jump. I thought that's really funny. So um, whether it's the funniest tonight, I I think that could definitely be debated. But, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to the vote here. But I do think overall it's the best film we're talking about tonight. So now, honey, your your thoughts on this one, uh, just – two huge actors in Hugh Jackman and, and, and Taryn uh, there. So uh, what were your thoughts on the film? Well, I just, I'm so grateful that you told me to watch it because I'd never heard of it. And I, I watched it and I just loved it. I mean, I, lo- I loved it. It was my favorite. Um, oh. I tend to favor British films. I don't know. Every film I've ever just fallen in love with has usually been British. I don't know what it is about, about them. They're just, they just focus so much on the craft you know, a lot of the um, the stuff that happens in Hollywood, the fame stuff, doesn't really happen the same way in England. So they tend to be more craft oriented, and 
I just, the craft in this movie blew my, blew me away. Just everything. The director was so good. This guy, I'd never even heard of him. And I have seen the, the, um, Elton John movie, Dexter Fletcher, who directed the Elton John movie as well with Taron Egerton. And both of those names, I did not know. And I was horrified that I haven't heard of these people because they're so talented. Um, I thought the, the physical work that, that Taryn was doing with the physicalization. If you see pictures of this guy, of Ed, the original Eddie, he has just a strange, oh, yeah. right? And, and he just, he nailed it. He really, and that's hard to keep up for however long it took to, you know, you have to kind of not for, you know, he really kept it up and he basically transformed his face by the way he was holding it, the way he was holding his, his, uh, his muscles and his jaw. And he, he just looked like a different guy. Um, Hugh Jackman was wonderful. I thought he, they didn't really go into his story very much. Like I didn't really play the sort of, like, I think the John Candy thing was a little more, went a little more into it. Hugh Jackman kept it fairly light and we kept it focused on Taron, but he was, he was a wonderful support to Taron's work. Um, I loved, I loved this movie. I loved the, the story of perseverance of the just, this guy's indomitable spirit that no matter what happened, you know, it was, it's a great lesson for anybody because, you know, we're, we tend to be so like, Oh, you know, people I'm getting offended easily and, and people get their feelings hurt and then they quit. And it's like, you can't, you have to look at this guy. Like no matter what happened, his dad, like basically verbally punches him in the face on a daily basis. And he just, he just keeps going. It just nothing faces him. And, you know, no matter what happens and, that was so inspiring to me. I just, I want to rewatch this film with my kids and just say, this is what you need. This is the spirit you need to have to succeed in the world. It's not about the most talented. It's not about the most connected. It's not about all of those outside things. It's about who's got the biggest heart, who, who, whose heart is just going to not quit on them, you know? And then I thought this was a beautiful movie for that. Just this guy's heart was so great. It didn't matter how awkward he was or how bad he was. His heart took him all the way to the top. And and it was beautiful that, no, he didn't win, but the people fell in love with him. He won the hearts of people. Yeah. So, yeah. Totally like your favorite movie, even though I was in the cutting edge. <laughs> like, and like your, those other movies aren't fantastic. They're all worth yeah. watching. All of them worth watching. Spend the two hours. You won't regret it. You know, like sometimes when you spend two hours and you're like, I'll never get those two hours back. Why did I do that? These are two hours any of these movies that you will not regret and you will not want your, your time back. I, I was not familiar with, with Taron either, uh, like yourself. And, um, I, I saw that he was in the Kingsman movies, which are like, kind of like a younger James Bond type movies. And then the only thing I knew him from, uh, you said you have children is he is the voice of the gorilla in the sing movies with Matthew McConaughey and Reese oh. Witherspoon. So he is, he is an amazing voice. Uh, he's really good. So, um, well, let's move into our vote here tonight. Guys, cannot vote for your own. Uh, Brian, you're in my corner. Who are you taking? Yeah, I'm going to go with Blaze of Glory. Blaze of Glory, short and sweet. All right. Uh, right yeah. Paolo. Let me remind all of you that Cosmo called Blades of Glory the greatest skating movie of all time. So let me put that out there. I'm going to put that in the universe, okay? But uh, since I can't vote for my own, I'm going to go with uh, – Eddie the Eagle. I did enjoy that 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 time watching that movie. Like Nahani said, you know, I felt good. It felt good after the movie. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, Brad. 
Uh, it's again, it's it's hard, but I I gotta go with Eddie the Eagle as well. And uh, yeah, so for me, I, I can't vote Eddie the Eagle otherwise. Well, I, I actually I probably wouldn't because I, I I'm gonna vote tonight for what's the funniest, not what was the best movie. And uh, for me, that came down to uh, Cool Runnings and and Blades of Glory. Um, but as far as being the funniest, I do have to go with Blades of Glory. I think it's a little funnier than Cool Runnings. As much as I love John Candy and Dougie Doug, uh, it's a little bit funnier. So, uh, Nehani, uh, you can break our tie. You can vote for something else. I think I know where you're going, but uh, what, what's your vote? I don't know if I'm going to break your tie because I would give Blades of Glory the funniest movie award. But the best movie, um, for sure, Eddie the Eagle. I was I was happy I watched that movie. So that, that, that does break our tie because that's three for Eddie the Eagle. So a win for myself here tonight. All right. Excellent. <laughs> Let's move into our Q&A. Switch out my notes here a little bit. All right. So you, um, you've done TV, theater, and film. Is, is there one that you prefer more? Like what's, what's your favorite part of, of each? I don't think I have a preference so much. I, I sort of phased out of theater when I had children because I didn't want to be away at night. I wanted to be able to put my kids to bed and um, work in sort of concentrated bursts. <laughs> but I think what makes it great is the people you work with. So, so much of, of, you know, film work is it's community. It's, it's a, it's a collaboration. So it's not so much which genre I like. It's more like the group of people that you happen to be with. And even if you're with a group of people that's, I don't know, if there's difficult personalities, sometimes that makes it fun because everybody kind of has to bond together to deal with a difficult personality. So there haven't, I haven't had any really bad experiences. Um, every There's been good from every single thing that I've done every every show that I've been on even the shows where I'm like please don't watch that I still had great experiences doing that um so yeah I, I can't really answer that there's not I don't have a preference I mean if I if I could say if you could say what what would you want to do yeah I would probably pick film because that's the most prestigious and you know the most financially rewarding and you've got all he hits all the you know all the markers but um checks all the boxes but I'm happy to do any, you know, anything that has to do with this industry. Like I even love coaching because I love to analyze scripts and I, I love working with other actors. You know, it's the, the camaraderie on sets and in theaters is just something so beautiful. It's like a, a family. It becomes like a family, sometimes a dysfunctional family, but it, it's, a, it's kind of a family vibe. And since I was an only child, I really, really like the family. <laughs> I like the family aspect. And we'll did go, that, is that a long way of really not answering your question? Oh, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll go Brian Brad Rollo. All right, Nahani. Um, I was just wondering, do you have an opinion on the, the Screen actor guild, Actors Guild strike? I mean, it seems like they're looking for higher pay and they're, they're not really feeling the streaming services and, and, and that sort of thing. So do you have an opinion on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I've seen my income drop dramatically over the years and you would think that you know the more experience you have the more you know that it would go up but is the streaming services uh they i gotta say they were warned and they didn't listen and they gave it away and and that was not smart um 
So uh, they're absolutely right to try to get something back from that because actors sometimes have a short life, you know, they, and those films end up making the producers so much money and actors aren't asking for like a huge chunk of it. And it's really not the A-listers that are, that have a problem. It's the regular working class, just like everything else, right? It's the working class people that, that are the working actors like that we don't, it used to be a lot easier just to qualify for healthcare. It's very hard to qualify for healthcare now. And, and so it's just to make it a, a doable, livable career that, that people are really fighting for. And the AI thing is a huge, huge, I mean, really, I just tell everybody, please don't use AI if you can help it. Cause it's just gonna, it's gonna take out so many of us. So many of us are going to lose our jobs to, to a computer. Now, personally, I believe that you can't replicate the human spirit. If you know, that's something that just is in your eyes. It's your, it's your energy. And I don't think a computer can replicate that. I honestly don't think it will succeed. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know if that's just my opinion, but I do think that we have to put boundaries around that. I don't know that I have a lot of faith in, um, billionaires and unions. My faith is with God and, and my faith is with that God, that spirit of God that moves through human beings. And, if that means that the industry is going to completely change and we're going to go more independent and maybe, maybe people aren't going to make $20 million a picture, you know, maybe I, I've never made that anyway. So that's not going to be a big change for me. I've always just been a working class, you know, actor. Um, so if we go into that more, that's kind of where I, my focus is going is like, how can I keep creating? I don't really want to wait for permission from some rich billionaire in Hollywood to live my life, you know? And so, yeah, I just kind of think, okay, well, that's happening. So I'm just going to keep working. And that's, you know, we see the models of there's new paradigms emerging, like the chosen. That's my favorite and, and sound of freedom. You know, Angel Studios, they're, they're just creating a whole new paradigm. And it's one that I personally agree with very much. It's for the people, by the people, you know, that's kind of where I stand. Nice. Go ahead, Brad. Uh, as an actress, um, I gotta ask, do you have a top three or top five all-time favorite movies? Oh, that's a tough question because there's so many different categories of favorites. There's the favorites I grew up with, like uh, Fiddler on the Roof and The Sound of Music. And there's the favorites from when I was a teenager, like The Warriors. Remember that one? Warriors. I saw that movie, like, I don't know how many times I saw that movie. There's my favorite industry movies, uh, Ben Stiller's Zoolander and Tropic Thunder. Definitely been on high rotation in my house. But then there's the movies that I really, sometimes I'll, I'll love a movie and then I'll find out something about the people who made it. And I think that's happening a lot these days where I'm like, oh, hey, I, I don't think I want to watch that person's movies anymore. So my favorites are changing the more I find out about things like that, you know, then I'll, I'll maybe look at something like, um, uh, that Mel Gibson movie where he was the Scottish guy. What's the name of the, with the blue face, Braveheart, Braveheart. you know, suddenly something like that becomes my new favorite. So I don't have, um, a movie that I'm sort of stuck on, you know, being my favorite. I have, I have all the ones I've mentioned. I've 
watched, maybe The Sound of Music is one of those, like, ah, I've watched it probably 50 times and I'll probably watch it another 50. <laughs> but, um, but my favorites change as, as the world changes, you know, I have different reasons to like movies. And that's what's so beautiful. There's so many to choose from. You know, British films tend to be my favorites. There's a movie called Impromptu that I watched like over and over when I rented back in the days of, you know, the, the chunky, the chunky tapes. I rented that tape and I watched it three times in a row. Just watched it and then watched it again and then watched it again. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a lot of movies out, but I, I do love the, those, those British films from that, from that era. And and the British directors, I tend to favor those those guys. Like, so thank you for introducing me to a new one because now I'm going to go watch everything that Dexter. Is that his name again? Dexter Fletcher. I'm going to go watch everything that Dexter Fletcher has done. With Nail and I, that was another favorite for me for a while. Being a starving, struggling actor in New York, all my New Yorker friends, Will Arnett included. We're like obsessed with with Nail and I, and we all watched it over and over and memorized all the lines and just like repeated them to each other because we were living that, you know? Um, yeah. If you're an actor, you'll be like, yes, yes, that one. Maybe an older actor. <laughs> Rolla, go ahead. So many. <laughs> Honey, you were in a film called Yellow Fever uh, where you won an award. Uh, tell us how you got involved in that project and what does that movie mean to you? Because it deals with, deals with a lot of self-image and stuff like that. Well, that was a funny one. Um, there's a story there. I was having a, a a rough week of just auditioning, auditioning, auditioning back in the days when we were auditioning in person. So driving to auditions, auditioning and, you know, big things like, you know, 10, 15 pages. And when you have to learn that every day for another, another role, you know, it's, it's a lot because you can be exhausting and, and everyone who's ever, you know, lived in LA knows what that's like. And there's times when I had eight to 10 auditions a day. And yeah, anyway, I was having one of those weeks where I was exhausted and I just, I had to put a little prayer out there. I said, dear God, can you just give me a movie? Just hand me, just please. I just need an offer. I don't want to audition. I want a straight offer. And I would like it now. So I got this offer that day, or maybe that day or the next day, my agent from New York called and said, hey, I have an offer for you. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. So I get the offer and it's like two lines in a horror film on Long Island. And I'm like, no, I know. I don't want to do that. I That's not the offer. Okay, wait, God. Okay, let's go back. Okay, I want an independent film. I want a um, leading or supporting, supporting leading role. I want lots of scenes, lots of stuff to do. I'd like to be a mom because I am a mom and that's what interests me. I want to play a mom. I would like it to be in New York City, not on the island. And I think I had a few other, and I'm telling you within two days, my agent called and I'm, the, the amount of times I've gotten a straight offer, I could probably can't count on my, my hands, right? <laughs> like doesn't happen to me every day. I get a call. Oh, we have another offer for you. And it was yellow fever and I was starting shooting like the next day. And so I loved that script. It was exactly what I wanted to do. And the actors in it were very, very good. Um, it was a real shoestring budget and the filmmakers were brand new. They hadn't never done a film before. So the fact that it got put together the, as well as it did was kind of a miracle. They did, they had an amazing editor uh, that I think was one of their professors or something that that really pulled because you know when you're when you have no money, 
you just got to take what you can get, you know, and you've got like five or six people in a scene and, and, and the clock is ticking, you know, people don't realize like how that's, that's time is money. And like, there's, you got a whole, so these people just didn't have it. So we, sometimes we were just going on like one take, you know, from each angle, like we'd get one thing and that was it. So I was really curious to see what they were going to wind up with. And then we did, it did get um, taken to festivals and, I wish they had um, done things a little differently because I think that film could have gotten a release. I think it could have gone a lot further than it did. But that's a very common story. I mean, we we did go to London. You're sitting in front of my picture because we, we went to London. Oh, that was another thing in my prayer. I was like, oh, and I want to go to festivals and I want to win an award. <laughs> I, and I'm not kidding you. It was really like I just put this out there and it just came back to me like the next day. So it's one of the things I, I teach my actors that I work with. And like, it's not about struggling. It's about having a vision, building a vision, trusting in God, and just really like living out your faith at in your, in your craft, you know, and just, and asking God to just come alongside you and just give, you know, create, you know, something beautiful. You know, I don't recommend creating something not beautiful, but, um, so we did go to London and my husband and I went for a week. We had the best time and I did win the award, which was amazing. And, you know, for actors like, yeah, nobody saw it. It was a little festival and it was, you know, it wasn't like a big deal. There was no, you know, paparazzi, but I didn't care. I was just, I was just having a great time. And I, I know the work I did was solid and, you know, I was grateful to be a part of it. So that's the story on that film. Uh, there's some other stories, but I don't think I should probably tell you when we're being recorded because they're kind of like, you know. <laughs> not shareable publicly. <laughs> so I'll finish this out tonight since I got the win here. Um, I'll make it a two-parter. So Kurt Dempster, founder of the Ensemble Studio Theater in New York. He was a mentor of yours, I had read. Uh, this guy, he's produced over 6,000 plays and is responsible for launching careers, um, like too many to count. How, how did he help your career and what did you learn from him? Um, and then roll that into what you did learn from him. How do you use that in your coaching now? And tell us about your studios and how people can order your, your classes and stuff. Uh, I got a little verklempt bringing up Kurt because he, uh, you know, he's no longer with us. Right. And um, he ended, it ended badly for him. Um, but I got to talk about the work he did. It, he was, he it was responsible for this, this theater called Ensemble Studio Theater that was uh, all about being an incubator for talent. So you could find anybody, you know, you'd go to this little 99-seat hole-in-the-wall theater and house kitchen and talk about, like, there's no fame, there's no money. It's not about that. It was just about the work. And so I joined this as an intern at this little company, and we would meet once a week, and we would write and then we would, um, you know, work through what we were writing. We do these kind of like what I thought were really weird theater exercises because I was not a theater so much person. But we do all these kind of theater exercises and getting into your imagination. And then we'd write. And then every few months we'd put on a night of plays uh, of, of just like little one act plays. And it was the most wonderful creative time. It, Kurt really helped me 
trust myself as a writer. Like he, he, he taught me how to just unlock that, that part of me. And I've gone on to teach that with, with some of my students. And right now I'm getting ready to sort of start that again of like, let's forget about this extra. I mean, yes, that's important, but let's create, let's create our own work. Let's, you know, let's get that creative thing going because that is what generates uh, kind of like a magnetism. So when I was doing that, I was doing this, um, this work with, with Kurt in this in EST and I had a play I'd written and I directed it and it was going to go, it was going up, you know, my first time having a play that I'd created in New York city. And my manager sent me this audition. It was for love of the game. And I'm like, well, but this shoots like the same day as my play. And she's like, it's Kevin Costner, just go. So I, I'm like, oh, whatever. Okay. So I go to the audition and uh, forget about it. I've just did it and forgot about it. And then of course I get the call that I booked it. And I was like, but, but wait, I, you know, I worked really hard on this play and I, you know, it's just like a nothing part. It's like a one page scene. Like who's going to care? Like, and she just lost it on me. She's like, it's Kevin Costner and you're doing it. <sighs> all right. All right. I'm doing it. And I'm thinking, you know, they're probably just going to like, it's probably going to be like a two hour shoot and I'm going to throw away my whole night for this nothing job. <laughs> it's very respectful, but I am a Kevin Costner fan. Dances with Wolves. One of the movies I didn't mention is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I thought, well, at least I'll get to tell him what that movie meant to me. So I get to the, the shoot Sam Raimi was directing. It was, and, um, it was, um, Kelly Preston was playing the lead. I was very jealous, but whatever. So I did the scene with Kevin. And so as soon as I see Kevin, I'm like, listen, I didn't know how much time I was going to get to have. Cause you don't know, like sometimes the stars are very insulated from the rest of the cast and they don't want to connect and they don't want to talk to you. They're just, they're busy being stars and that's fine. So I didn't know. So I just thought, well, at least I'm going to tell him that Dances with Wolves is one of my favorite movies of all time and how much it meant to me. So I did tell him that and he listened and he, and you now I got to tell him about my mom and our experiences with the, you know, indigenous people in Canada. We, anyway, we had a great chat and then it turned out that one page scene was all we were shooting that night. It was like a 10 hour, eight hour, whatever it was shoot in the Waldorf Astoria. And then they blocked off the, you know, the everything. And we were in the Waldorf shooting this scene. And it was, that was it. Just me and Kevin shooting the scene all night. So we got to chatting and I told him at one point, yeah, I'm supposed to be on stage right now in my play. So I'm missing that for you and your movie. And I had to replace myself, you know, and, and he, we st we got into this whole conversation about creating your own work. And Kevin told me his experiences about um, when he was creating Dances with Wolves and how he was broke and they were sitting around in some apartment on, you know, somebody's bed, like writing and creating this whole, uh, this movie that went on to win Oscars, multiple Oscars. I think he won for best movie and best director for that. And he should have won an actor award as well. I mean, I thought Graham Greene was spectacular in that movie. And, and Maury Chaikin was so great in that movie. So many great performances. But going back to what Kurt taught me, it was like, because I went in there as a creator, as an, as, as an artist, as a writer and a, you know, a director, even though I'm not famous and I wasn't doing anything big and he's an A-lister, we connected like on as equals because it was, we weren't, you know, the fame wasn't, didn't matter. It's was just in the moment that doesn't matter. You can't quantify that. It's just, 
you know, people that are really hung up on their fame are really hard to connect with. And, and the people that are more interested in the work are a lot more fun to connect with or they, you know, they'll talk to anybody. They're not, they don't snobby about it. So, so that was, um, one of the most important things I learned from Kurt was that it's all about the work and it doesn't matter who's famous and who's not, because you can only be one thing in the moment and that's you doing the work, you know? doesn't matter what's in the bank or who wants to talk to you. It's just that. So, and when you're doing that, then you can really connect when you're coming from that place, you can connect with anybody, any other artist that way, you know, that's your common ground and that's where all the fun on all the magic happens. So um, that attitude is what helps me when I'm working with a big star, uh, just really keep it, you know, real. Does that make sense? keeping it real <laughs> yeah anyway kevin's a really nice guy too by the way in case anybody's wondering because people always go how are they were they nice no no he's one of the good ones for sure and and your classes are available on your website correct yes or you can just um email me nahani.studio at gmail because i have different things i have some live classes depending on where i am where i'm working i have um, an online course for people that just want to do their own thing and i teach privately sometimes just you know i just do privates on zoom in tandem with the online course so i basically put everything i've learned and that actors need like the things that i wish i had when i was starting onto an online course and it's like here here's all the information watch the videos and then call me and then we'll work together. And you work for actors who want to progress faster. It's just kind of like a turbo charge to your career because I've, I've given, I've, I've made a greatest hits album basically. <laughs> oh, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. It's really been fun to talk about these movies and, and thank you for assigning them to me because I had a great time watching them. Yeah, me, me too. I, I mean, I'd seen three out of the four before and I went back and watched them and it, it was just, it was just a good time again. So, uh, I want to remind everybody, make sure you hit that like and subscribe button on whatever you're listening on. We'll see y'all next time. Thank you for watching. Have a great night.